Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show brought to you by Calm Box Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, author of Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, homesteading, and of course living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com or you can follow us on Twitter become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kambach Feeds. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 
4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. How would you like to sleep in on the weekends without having to get up early to let your chickens out? Or not have to rush home after eating dinner to shut your chickens in for the night? And who's had the unfortunate surprise that a raccoon, possum, or fox got to your chickens because you forgot to close the coop? Well, your days of worrying have come to an end. Introducing the Chicken Guard Automatic Chicken Coop Door Opener. Working off either the timer or light sensor, Chicken Guard automatically opens your coop door in the morning to let the girls out and shuts it at night to keep them safe. Tried and trusted by over 40,000 users worldwide. Buy Chicken Guard online at chickenguardian.com or your local farm and feed store. That's chickenguardian.com. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Foods. We have a great show lined up for you today. Of course, don't we always? We have awesome expert guests that come on the show and share their knowledge to all of us about how to keep a healthy flock of chickens in our backyard. But today, we're talking all about exotic Newcastle disease. I guess I will phrase that. Actually, we're all talking about it, but Dr. Maurice Pateski is going to be teaching us all about it. Um, I guess it was last month, there was a, I don't know... I guess everybody defines outbreak differently, so I don't know if this would be deemed an outbreak or just a finding or a positive uh, diagnosis. Um, I'm sure he'll let us know of that, um, of exotic Newcastle disease. And then I saw that kind of new and improved, they kind of eliminated the name exotic. Now they're just calling it Newcastle disease. Uh, I read some a little bit about that as well. Uh, from the USDA when they made that announcement, uh, USDA APHIS, but it was uh, in California. And um, I thought, you know what, I don't believe we've covered this in quite some time. And now that there's a quote-unquote outbreak or a positive identification or a finding, and again, Dr. Pateski will let us know kind of what, what this is categorized as, 
um, then um, maybe it's time for us to, to review that. And we shared that information when it was identified on our Facebook page. And then uh, actually I was on the completely other, um, I think it was a Facebook poultry or chicken group, and someone had identified some symptoms that their chickens were having and up in Wisconsin, I think it was, and um, again, very common, very vague symptoms, but somebody said, hey, I just saw that there was a, uh, a exotic Newcastle kind of outbreak in California. Uh, sounds like the symptoms of that uh, all the way up in Wisconsin. And I'm not sure. I did a little research, and I'm sure Dr. Potesky will let us know about, I believe it was 2003, uh, where I think it was something like 4.3 million birds had to be put down or were put down. And I don't know if it went anywhere else other than California. I think that was the last uh, confirmed case of exotic Newcastle disease, 2003. Um, and then uh, I want to say it... Some may have got to Texas or there was a finding in Texas. But So when I said that about Wisconsin, I was like, well, uh, you know, Dr. Potesky will talk about that. You know, what are the chances of it being in Wisconsin? And I'm worried about the, the outbreak of the unification in, in California. It's pretty far distance. But um, uh, so, so we'll talk a little bit about that today, the seriousness of it, maybe some signs and symptoms and, and how aware um, we need to be about this. So that'll, that's all coming up here in just a, a few minutes. I want to make an announcement, uh, kind of exciting, that the all-new, brand-new Chicken Whisperer magazine website has launched. I mean, the old website, I didn't see anything wrong with it. It was it was pretty darn good, if you ask me. I'm no website builder by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it looked pretty darn good uh, through um, uh, Heartland Communications. But I got an email yesterday, hey, the new website is up and running, and I'm still trying to navigate it a little bit. You know, as humans, we don't like change, but uh, I can see some improvements, and uh, I think it's going to be a good one. But if you want to see our all-new, brand spanking new uh, website for the magazine, it is up and running now. It is live, I guess they call it, uh, at Chicken Whisperer magazine.com. And then last but not least, some more exciting news. Uh, I just signed this week, signed, sealed, delivered, FedEx back uh, to the publisher. I just signed a contract for a third book through uh, uh, the um, publishing company. And um, the, 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 we don't have a title yet. Uh, it's very preliminary right now. Uh, we've kind of done the research. We've got about 12 that you know what the book is going to be about in a very broad kind of general uh, idea, but I think the the way it was brought to me initially was um, waste-free chicken keeping. Now, nothing leaves the homestead. Uh, it's all used, consumed, you know, and not just, you know, composting the chicken poop, but a little bit more in depth than that because we do have to fill a book, but I'm looking forward to that actually, and um so uh, it's exciting to sign on the dotted line for the third book, and that'll be uh, I can't probably out by next spring. It takes a while, uh, maybe by chick days of next year. We'll see how fast we can get this done. But that was done. So that's very exciting. The launch of the new website for the magazine, and now this new book deal. And then uh, we're starting to look at our fall tour, which looks like it. Uh, I'm hoping, keeping my fingers crossed, will be a kind of a southern, uh, eastern United States, southeastern tour, if you will. Maybe not down to Florida, but Georgia, Alabama, 
Tennessee, North and South Carolina, maybe Virginia, Kentucky, kind of that southeastern region. That's what I'm hoping for, and I'm hoping it'll be in September. Uh, August, it's a hot, and uh, so I'm hoping I'm pushing for maybe the last two weeks of September in that area, last three weeks in September. So I'll let you know, those of you who are in the southeastern United States, if that ends up happening. Um, folks at Kalmbach Feeds are uh, kind of uh, doing that search right now and, and uh, trying to see where we go. So I'm hoping for the southeastern area. So other than that, things are still uh, going along well, and the chickens are doing good, the cows are doing good, uh, the goats, the, the lambs, and um, we got any other critters here? Oh, we're getting, I guess, in about two weeks. I think we're getting two hogs. They're small. We'll raise them up. They'll be big. Uh, two hogs. Uh, a kitten, and actually we found out we're going to be getting another um, Great Pyrenees. We've got one male in the front pasture, and uh, they're actually um, uh, clearing out there for the back pasture. But, but anywho, so we'll be getting that uh, here uh, done pretty soon and fencing that back area in for more goats. So, hey, let's talk about the show, all about exotic Newcastle disease with our good friend Dr. Maurice Pateski. We're going to get right to that. And um, and learn a little bit more about that based on the uh, wow I don't know if I should call it an outbreak or finding or positive diagnosis because uh, it may have been more than just one backyard now but and it was backyard it wasn't commercial at that time so um, we'll bring on Dr. Pateski and he can fill us in on that Doc welcome to the show thanks for coming back great thanks for having me Andy good to good to be here um, yeah, congratulations you. on your book that's exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be uh, there'll be a lot of research. There'll be a lot of uh, um, experimentation. We're going to be implementing a lot of things here on our homestead, and well, I, I can imagine it's probably going to be some things like you know building coops out of pallets and recycling and the food waste and things like that. But it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So uh, and we'll be trying to put all that to work. And uh, it'll still have the scientific aspect, though, uh, Dr. Pateski, and, and, and my wife actually came up with this idea, saying, because that's, you know, we, we're, we strive for that. And so I think right now the publisher liked the idea of saying, okay, here's kind of what we do, here's what we've learned, here's what we found, um, and I'll give you an example in a minute, and then here's an expert in the field, and this is why this is important to do it this way or that way. So it may be something like... Um, Oh, geez, let me think. Um, we add chicken coop into our compost bin, and, you know, we'll may keep it in there for six months or a year before we – But and then we'll have some expert in that field uh, say, yeah, it's, it's you know, you really want to keep it in that compost bin for so long before you put it on your plants in your garden because obviously it's too hot. So, so there will be some, uh, you know, hey, here, here's some ideas that we can do, but we're still going to have that, that expert uh, – uh, uh, what am I saying? The expert uh, – theme that, in all our books, somebody to come on and say, hey, or for for example, the, um, uh, what's it called, fermenting feed. Oh, you know, it's a big deal. We've had radio shows on it before, and like, okay, well, you know, we'll have somebody come on in the book and say, well, if you're going to ferment, these are things to look out for. There's there's some things to, you know, definitely be careful with, da 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 so, so it'll still kind of be a combo, but at the end of the day, when you're done reading the book, when you're done reading a particular topic, you'll have some sort of, of uh knowledge of the right way, the wrong way, or, or what the experts say about how to do that particular topic. So uh, still, still going to keep that theme, of course, because got to do that. And, uh, but thank you very much. We're looking forward to getting that done over the next few months. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. 
And uh, so, yeah, I kind of opened it up, all these questions even I got about Exotic Newcastle and some scenarios and things like that. So um, we'd like to hear from you. It's, it's in your state, or it was, so I'm sure you probably get a lot more information than we do over here on the East Coast. So we're anxious to hear about what's going on. Yeah, so um, I can provide some kind of background information, and then hopefully, um, you know, hopefully some of this information will be relevant just as far as um, if it ever did spread to other um, other states, um, then people would be aware of it. And it's also just good to be aware of. Um, it's good to talk about um, these type of diseases. Um, we consider uh, what they call virulent Newcastle disease, what we used to call exotic Newcastle disease in, in North America, but uh, we consider virulent Newcastle disease and highly pathogenic avian influenza, we consider those foreign animal diseases, um, which as the name implies, they're, are not, they're not endemic. We don't, we don't have them in North America under normal circumstances. So to your kind of point about, um, you know, is this an outbreak or not an outbreak? Yes, this is. This would definitely be considered an outbreak of a of a foreign animal disease, and why it's really important to to control um, uh, virulent Newcastle disease and and other diseases is that we don't want them to become endemic because if they do become endemic, um, then they're by definition they wouldn't be a foreign animal disease anymore, um, and it becomes much more challenging um, to. Uh, control those diseases to kind of keep, especially diseases like Newcastle disease. We're not really, it's not like it's um, the virulent Newcastle disease. It's, it's not like mycoplasma or something like that. We can't really keep those at a low boil. Um, it's much more challenging too. And it's also important to realize that, uh, you know, we all live in the same environment for the most part. So if you do have uh, backyard chickens um, um, in most states, including California, we, we have a, a fairly large commercial poultry industry. And it's really important that we um, that we do everything we can to protect all birds from disease. Um, but it's really important uh, just because the commercial poultry industry, that's their livelihood. And as we found out in California in the past, we've had outbreaks in uh, 2002, as you mentioned, and uh, I believe 1971 and, and probably before then. As we found out in the past, when we do have these outbreaks, um, the uh, amount of birds that we have to depopulate that we um, is, is significant, and sometimes in the in, in the millions. I think we had to depopulate over, uh, I think 1.6 million birds that were commercial birds, and um, probably at least another 100,000 birds that were that were backyard birds. So, it's really important um, uh, from our previous experience in California um, that we figure out which birds are infected. We figure out uh, what are the dangerous contacts. Um, because the bird, the virus can spread very easily um, as a aerosol, um, and it can. We've talked about this before, and we'll go to that kind of biosecurity kind of um, um, talk that we always that we always end up alluding to. Um, that virus can spread really easily if we're not practicing good biosecurity, if we are um, sharing equipment with neighbors, if we're using the same shoes in our coop um, that we're using um, to go to the feed store. Uh, if we're getting birds uh, from sources we're not uh, entirely clear as to their um, uh, how safe those if those birds are actually truly disease free those are all really risky kind of kind of behaviors and, and we need to kind of especially right now um, we need to really really um, be aware of our surroundings not just our own backyard um, but all the backyards around us. Um, so we can really understand and, and try to prevent uh, this virus from spreading further. At this point, um, we only have nine positive um, 
um, cases in Southern California. So if people are familiar with Southern California, uh, Los Angeles is obviously the, the biggest city down there. So Los Angeles County has one um, backyard uh, that is affected, and that was in the middle of May. And then since then, um, we found, or the California Department of Food and Agriculture and the USDA have found eight more um, positive cases in San Bernardino County, which is uh, directly east of Los Angeles County. And those are all backyard birds. Um, one of the cases, interestingly enough, is, is backyard birds, um, plus um, the uh, premise had some doves and citizen birds, which were also um, um, positive for the virus. So uh, typically what will happen in those situations, you, you want to test the birds. Um, and we have an excellent diagnostic lab system here. So just as we've talked about before, if your birds are, are sick or if you have a dead bird and it happens, um, which happens, and you want to find out what's wrong with your bird, you can always reach out to uh, your diagnostic lab, to your veterinarian, to your extension um, uh, veterinarian at your uh, regional university, uh, the USDA, the Department of Food and Agriculture in your state, and they'll all kind of funnel you uh, typically to um, where you can get um, uh, those birds necropsied, which is just a fancy word for uh, an animal autopsy. And when they do those, those necropsies, they can kind of try to figure out, you know, what, what disease the bird died from. That's the first and probably most important step at a certain level. Um, I think some people kind of err on the side of, well, this bird died, so, you know, I'm, I'm just going to kind of let it go for a little longer. Um, or they will, um, you know, kind of, I think, sometimes panic and they'll get antibiotics online or at a feed store um, without really understanding what's going on. And, um, you know, it, it's a much more, the great thing about, uh, about chickens um, is that the, the, we have really good resources and really good diagnostic tools um, where we can quickly identify um, what diseases they, they may or may not have. And, and then the, the best way to really do that is to do these necropsies so you can identify what the disease is in your flock and then protect the rest of your flock. So it's really important to realize. And the one thing I will say, and, and oh, sorry, did you have something you were going to ask? No, um, you were talking about the findings and, and, and the testing and things like that, and I'm probably jumping the gun, but, but my understanding of this being as serious as it is based on history and the scientists knowing the disease, that um, once that test comes back positive, it's it's pretty much guaranteed that that entire flock is going to be cold. Yes. And I, because I was, of what it is, yeah. Yep, and you just took the, the words out of my mouth. And, and I think this is, you know, I think we're, there's a lot of misperception here. So the reality is, and I, I understand why, you know, people, these are your pets, and I, I understand that and, and certainly respect that. I'm a veterinarian. I, I love animals. Um, but there's two diseases where um, culling of animals is in all of our best interests, um, and the two diseases are highly pathogenic avian influenza and the virulent Newcastle disease. Um, and and right. the reason is, is we don't have a cure for those. So if we do find those viruses in birds on premises, um, the dogma is to depopulate, is to euthanize those affected birds for two reasons. One, they're not going to recover. Um, it's a almost completely fatal disease. Two, even if they did somehow, you know, there's no absolutes in biology, so even if they did somehow recover, 
only live birds are going to be making more virus and shedding more virus. So now you basically have a virus manufacturing plant in your backyard or on your farm, and the potential for spreading that, and these diseases um, can be spread via an aerosol route, uh, via fomites and shoes and tires and clothing, um, and the potential now to spread that disease to your neighbor's yard and your neighbor's neighbor's yard and to continue this kind of um, um, outbreak and expand it um, is, is, is really significant. Any other disease, we don't really have that conversation. Is, is like you have to depopulate your birds. This is the only one where um, the regulations and the recommendations are always going to be in favor of depopulating so we can protect the rest of the birds in the region. So I think it's really important for backyarders who love their birds um, to kind of understand, like, okay, I love my birds. I don't, you know, don't want to euthanize them. This is a really, really rare situation. I mean, like you said, this hasn't happened in North America since 2002. So it's been, you know, when we look at 16 years. Um, but people in Southern California, you know, really remember the 2002 outbreak. It was oh, right. really significant, and, and there still is. It's interesting. I'll, I'll talk to people, and there's this really palpable fear that people are still, you know, from the government are going to take their chickens and kill them. Um, and, and that is only the situation, you know, in these very extreme cases where we're dealing with uh, these two viruses. Um, but people still have a really real um, palpable fear of it. I'll... I'll you know, I'm, extension, I'm an extension veterinarian, so I have all kinds of people call me and email me, and they'll still talk about, you know, kind of all the things that happened in 2002 and 1971, and um, it, it definitely is a, a real challenging situation. Um, we've been lucky, knock on wood, so far, and hopefully this continues. It does not seem, um, you know, we have nine backyards right now that are affected. I don't know the total number of of places that they're, they've gone to, but they, you know, the, the regulatory veterinarians and staff have been down there for over a month now, um, and it's a good sign, I would say, at this point that we're not having, you know, that it's not has not spread further, um, and hopefully it continues to to do that. Hopefully they can continue to this, to surveillance and and continue to get negative results. Um, and, and in lieu of it expanding. Um, this is kind of how it started in 2002 in the sense that it started in backyard flocks and then spread to commercial flocks. Um, so that has not happened yet. And, and, you know, the goal is to be really aggressive um, to prevent um, the virus from spreading into you know, the greater um, Southern California backyard poultry community and uh, commercial poultry um, kind of community. It's important to realize that it was not just California was affected. Also, there were there were Nevada and Arizona were also affected. Um, and and really, as those diseases spread, it becomes really really challenging. It's it's pretty amazing that we were able to control it last time. One thing that's in our favor this time is it's been really hot in Southern California. Uh, summer is here, so um, we have a um, the virus is, is sensitive to heat. Um, so we're, we're at a good time as far as uh, trying to control the virus um, in the environment from those kind of respiratory effluents and, and, and uh, fecal material where the virus is not going to persist as long in the environment under these conditions as, as it would in, in, in kind of the fall and winter in Southern California. So that's a good sign. Quick um, question you were talking about. Yes. We know those two diseases and we, we know the outcome of that. Do, if memory serves, there are some states 
and obviously we don't expect you to know all of them, but, but you may know this to be true. Some states try to require it that if you have, I believe it's laryngotracheitis, is that am I pronouncing that right, that that may be an automatic for some states calling of at least the birds or the full flock. Am I, am I remembering that right? I don't know. I don't think so. I do know for um, infectious laryngotracheitis, or ILT, some states will not allow backyarders to vaccinate um, their backyard flock. And and the reason is some of these vaccines can can what we call revert to virulence, and that's just a fancy way of saying these are live Uh vaccines, um, and the vaccines can, over time, they can mutate just like all um, organisms can, and they can actually mutate in such a way that they mutate from a a vaccine strain to a uh, strain that would basically cause disease. Um, so that's a really interesting topic, and we can certainly talk about that another time. I think it's it's really you know there's okay. there's this uh, interesting tug of war between farms sometimes um, because layer farms, for example, will vaccinate against ILT um, because those birds are living you know over a year. Broiler farms typically won't. Um, so you do have the potential, um, to kind of your point, you do have the potential to, for the, for the vaccine virus to revert to virulence and infect some of these broiler farms. Um, so it's an interesting kind of balancing act between those two industries because sometimes they're very close to each other. And if there's no, uh, if there's the right conditions, vaccine crews, whatever breakdowns in biosecurity, whatever it be, um, you can certainly have that, um, that scenario happen. Um, and that's why even if the, the professionals, the people that are doing this all the time, they, they have that problem. So some states, I know Texas is one of them, um, and then there's a handful of others that will not allow the uh, ILT vaccine. Now, we can talk a little about, and I'd like to just mention a little about um, the uh, Newcastle vaccine. Um, but, um, you know, one, it, it, it is, I'll give you kind of my own take on the vaccines and, and recommendations. It's a really safe vaccine to use and, and in Southern California for backyard poultry, I would recommend it. Um, um, but it's important to realize that, that vaccines, I think sometimes we all have a tendency to be like, oh, we're just going to vaccinate our birds um, and then we'll be fine. And, and going back to kind of the mantra that, that I think we, we try to focus on because it's the most efficacious, biosecurity is always going to be num- first, second, and third on your list of things to do before you consider the vaccine. Um, it is essential to, to really focus that way first and to have that psychology. And then we can talk about the vaccine. But the, but the vaccines, um, as long as you're using um, them correctly and as long as you're using ones that are licensed in the United States, um, there's some really good vaccines. Um, and I'd like to talk about that a little, but I, I don't want the show to be all about sure. vaccines because I think sometimes people have a tendency. I get a lot of emails right now from people in Southern California who are asking me about vaccines, and I'm always – willing to chat about that, but, but I think sometimes you have a tendency to kind of then focus 100% on the vaccines and then not so much on mm-hmm. what are the clinical signs and, and how can we avoid this, and let's go over some of the biosecurity again just to make sure we're all on the same page there. Um, and people have a lot of different birds on their property, so it's important to realize um, that uh, this virus can infect um, pretty much all birds, um, but poultry, chickens, are the most susceptible um, and, and interestingly enough, ducks and geese are, are much less susceptible. Um, doesn't mean they can't be carriers also. Um, and then you kind of get this middle ground of all these citizen birds like parrots. So, um, you know, the, just to cut you, when you re- look at the literature, they'll say, well, some of these birds are, um, when you look at uh, the amount of birds that get infected, 
uh, flock will be between 0 and 75%. So that doesn't really tell you very much. It just says that it's almost like a, a 0 or 1, a yes or a no. Um, but it's just, I, think, I just think philosophically, and if you look at the, 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 the research, all birds um, can be infected. And it's really important to realize when the birds are infected, they can shed the virus. Um, uh -huh. So when they, in, when they shed the virus, that's really when we're dealing with uh, the problems of, and, and the, the focus needs to be on biosecurity. Dead birds don't shed virus as much as live birds do, um, especially with these kind of viruses. This is the RNA virus, and it's very sensitive to the environment, so we can control it very easily. And, and, and probably the best way to control it, unfortunately, is to, uh, is to depopulate. And, and one of the clinical signs, unfortunately, is sudden death. So, um, you know, this is not a disease that if you just kind of, you know, give your chicken some electrolyte solution or, or whatever it be, uh, your flock's going to recover. Um, so um, we'll talk about some clinical signs in a couple of minutes, but it is a, a very significant disease and, and very important to realize. So when we think about um, these Newcastle disease viruses, there's kind of three different flavors of them. There's the lentogenic, which is just a fancy way of these are the real mild strains of this paramyxovirus. I won't say that word again, but that's just the, the family <laughs> virus that it is. Um, so there's this, this lentogenic kind of flavor. Um, and that, within that, just as a side note, the, um, those are very mild strains. And, and in fact, um, some of those strains we use um, uh, for vaccines. Um, so you might, uh, some of your um, people that have been reading up on this might be familiar with uh, the Lasota vaccine or the B1 vaccine. Those are the typical ones that, that in the United States that we would recommend. And then you do have uh, these two other flavors, the mesogenic kind of flavor, if you will. That's kind of the, the middle uh, strain as far as strains as far as virulence. And then you have these velogenic strains. And then depending on, on who you talk to, the, the, the meso and the velogenic are considered the virulent uh, Newcastle disease that, that people are trying to move away from this exotic Newcastle disease. That was more of just an, a, an American term more than anything else. So we've kind of changed the language. Um, and then when you think about these, these strains, what, what do they cause? Well, they, they cause disease, obviously. And the, the two main places they hit are the GI tract. Um, where they can cause a lot of hemorrhage um, and uh, necrosis or, or basically death of tissue in the GI tract. And uh, they can cause also a lot of hemorrhage um, in, in the nervous system. So the, the two main kind of types that you'll typically see as far as the kind of clinical signs um, are, are hemorrhage um, in the, not clinical signs, excuse me, um, signs when you, when you do the necropsy. Uh, there'll be hemorrhage and uh, necrosis or death of tissue in the in the GI tract, or hemorrhage and necrosis um, of tissue in the nervous system. Um, so that will manifest itself in various ways. So the clinical signs that that people typically um, will, will see is sneezing and coughing, uh, nasal discharge. This kind of green, watery diarrhea. The kind of the classic sign that that people talk about is this neck twisting. Um, so, you know, sometimes you'll see, um, you know, a really nice picture in a poultry book and, and it'll show you this classic picture of the neck kind of twisting around. Um, it's not, you know, th th those are kind of the classic pictures and obviously reality is always a little different than that. I always joke with people, the, uh, the virus doesn't always read um, the pathology book. So um, sometimes you don't see that neck twisting like you'd like to. Um, you'll see, like, paralysis, too. That usually happens kind of uh, a little later in the disease process. 
Um, but the other thing to kind of look for is swelling around the eyes. And then I think the biggie that a lot of people realize is uh, a very sudden drop in egg production. Um, so when you see a sudden drop in egg production, that, that, those, the, the two biggies are um, avian influenza, again, and, and Newcastle disease. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm kind of remembering a story from a, a veterinarian, a commercial veterinarian, that said if you're on your farm of like you know a million chickens laying birds and you get a sudden drop in egg production and some birds just start dying, just get off the farm and call the CDFA, call the Department of Food and Agriculture or call the USDA because there's just nothing you can do at that point, and they need to come in there and do their work. Um, so it's it's kind of a – when that does happen, it, it, it can be very sudden. And, uh, you know, on a did serious he throw note – like Did he throw in there like a percentage, you said, of the farm of, say, a million birds, and, and, and you figured, okay, I've got – you know, I, w- I walked into the farm this morning, and I've got – Wow, ten percent, five percent. Is there any kind of? No, I, I, it's all. The all would be staggering with that many birds. But um, did did he? Get yeah, an, I an don't injury? have a, a specific number, but it would be. You know, I think the it would be sudden, and I, I think you know, ten percent mortality yeah. immediately. You know, on that, on just you know, on a morning would be <laughs> would be staggering. A hundred thousand birds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're if you go into you know if you got t- ten barns and each barn is ten thousand birds or something like that. Let's just say it's a mid-sized farm, um, and you got you know you lost ten thousand birds from all ten barns or just from one barn. Um, like so often happens that that that's a you know you, most farmers and I, I I think backyarders should do yeah. this also even though the math's not as hard but they have these little uh, mortality cards so you walk into the house and they they the workers in the morning if there's any dead birds they'll 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 take them collect them and then they'll write down on that mortality card you know usually like two or three you know birds that died if you walked in there and you know the number was a uh, you know 500 or something like that that is is staggering something's going on there obviously and if and if your egg production is also you know even more reduced than than you would expect even from just those lost birds um then yeah absolutely that 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 scenario would happen but that's it's a good question you know what you're bringing up like what is what is staggering and that's that's the point about collecting data that I always talk about is that you have to know what normal is before you can understand what abnormal is um would you see so that say the day if you've got all these layers and they're laying a, a, an egg a day and you, you know you go out today and your typical day and you've got all these eggs coming down the conveyor and whatnot would you has there would you see that like ooh today i had wow 25 percent i didn't have any deaths today or not an, an odd amount of deaths but you, you had you know whatever 10 15 25 percent less eggs today then you're like oh i'm kind of dreading going into the house tomorrow to see now if they're all going to die, because if you walk in and, and 10% are dead, I, I guess at that point you're like, okay, I'm not. I know why my eggs are down because the birds are dead. But like, is there is there any kind of observation that the day before or two days before that you start seeing uh, a lack of eggs enough to be like, okay, this third day I'm I'm not. I'm worried to go into the house because how many dead birds am I going to be? Is there anything you kind of uh, they can look at like that, like the pattern of two days out, three days out, day before. I think I, I think the answer is probably yes, um, but I mean, when you look at the clinical signs, sometimes the clinical sign is literally sudden death. That's the only thing you see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now gotcha. that being yeah. said, I, I think we are moving into this really interesting um, brave new world in um, commercial livestock and poultry, where 
now it's not just a worker or a farmer walking through a barn. Um, now we can start monitoring how much water did my birds drink yesterday and why do they drink 5% less water yesterday uh, than uh-huh, they drank uh-huh. every single day last week. Um, so we're having all these sensors, and we can have all these RFID tags. They're saying, hey, my birds aren't moving as much today as they were moving the other day. So my guess is is that as we move into that world, um, and we're pretty much there, it, it, it's, a, it's a matter of adoption more than technology at this point. Um, as we move into that world, I think we will be able to kind of identify these things a little faster. Now the significance of that for a disease like this I don't know, might not be as significant as maybe, maybe it's, it, it just allows us to, to be a little more aggressive earlier on. So the let's say if I have those 10 barns again and I only have one barn infected, well, that's really significant. Now I can basically um, control disease on that barn, and potentially if I can you know, test my way out of it, I can, I can save the birds on those other nine barns. So I think we're moving toward that, but, and I think, you know, here's where the challenge is. It's like, well, what, what, how old are those birds? Are they immunocompromised in any way? Um, what's the genetics of those birds? You know, there's, there's a lot of really interesting work on, especially in Africa right now, on trying to find village poultry, you know, the local birds there, um, that do have some resistance to diseases, including Newcastle disease, because Newcastle disease is, is endemic in Africa, unfortunately, and it has a huge effect on kind of this food security kind of issue, because if we don't have live birds, then we can't get eggs and meat out of them, obviously. So there is, you know, there's a lot of different ways to kind of think about this. There are some birds, you know, the Fayumi breed. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but there's this Egyptian mm-hmm. um, breed of chicken, and Fayumis are notorious, that's a negative way of saying it, are are well-known with their ability to resist disease, uh, including Newcastle disease and um, coccidiosis. Now, people then ask you, like, well, why don't we raise Fayumis here? And, and, and the reality is that they're not as productive. And then the other thing I've heard about Fayumis, um, just as a side note, is that apparently they're not the nicest birds of all. They're, they're kind of um, ornery. Um, <laughs> So, so it does come down to a lot of different things. It comes down to, you know, production, obviously. These are farmers. They have to make money, so they need eggs and meat. Um, but it also comes down to some of the welfare considerations. If the birds are not nice to each other in, in, in certain husbandry conditions, then, then that's a problem, too. Um, you do have this, what's the fancy word, is, is prodromal period, going back to your original question, um, which is that the actual period between when you get initial symptoms and you get the full development of the disease, so maybe you have a really fastidious farmer um, and workers um, that go out there and they really notice, huh, I noticed there's a tiny amount of nasal discharge out of a handful of birds. Um, and maybe you have another farmer who's not as fastidious and, and maybe maybe they don't, maybe on the same flock they wouldn't notice anything until later on. Um, you know, that's where all this, you know, that, that, that the nice part about, you know, as we move towards sensors, um, the sensors will be a little more... Um, uh, objective instead of subjective, but it's a really interesting question what you're asking because it's the range of symptoms. You know, nasal discharge versus sudden death is 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 very wide. Paralysis versus um, you know slight depression or or um, you know is, is is again some of these subtleties that we just don't know about. The egg production, you know, people will, will talk about, and, and I don't have the, you know any specific numbers in you, but it is a significant drop in egg production. I mean, it's pretty. It's apparently, it's very obvious when it does happen. Okay, cool. Hey, you know what? On that thought, let me go to a break so I can go to commercial break and then we come back and uh, we'll continue with some more of uh, this um, uh, new new, uh, exotic Newcastle disease. So uh, hang tight for uh, just a 
second for me, Doc. Um, if you're just tuning in, we're talking all about exotic Newcastle disease and now kind of just Newcastle disease. And Dr. Potesky explained a little bit about that while we dropped the exotic. And uh, fascinating, lots of great information is being covered. If you happen to have any questions, you can post them over on our Facebook page, um, uh, facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer. And uh, or send us an email, cw at chickenwhisper.com, if you can do that in time before we uh, end the show. But I want to go ahead and get some commercials run, and we'll be back talking more with Dr. Maurice Potesky about exotic Newcastle disease. The yard bird chicken plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardBirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardBirdChickenPluckers.com. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at Sweet pdz.com that's sweet pdz.com since 1921 Strombergs has been a family owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers today the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry including chickens waterfowl and game birds they also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. 
Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. With more than 25 years in the business, Eggland's Best is known for its highest standards in taste, nutrition, freshness, and quality. And now the brand is bringing its expertise to backyard farmers nationwide. Introducing Eggland's Best Backyard Chicken Feed. Feeding Eggland's Best Chicken Feed to backyard chickens will result in superior eggs with six times more vitamin D, 25% less saturated fat, more than double the omega-3s, 10 times more vitamin E, and more than double the amount of vitamin B12 than ordinary eggs. Eggland's Best Chicken Feed comes in several varieties for layers and chicks, and they even offer an organic variety. Eggland's Best Chicken Feed is now available in select farm supply, pet, mass merchandiser, and grocery retailers nationwide, including tractor supply. Pick up a bag for your backyard flock today. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Again, always do the longer set of commercials towards uh, three-quarters of the way through the show because uh, over the years I've been doing this for a decade. And uh, believe it or not, occasionally I'll hear people send me an email uh, and uh, say, oh, man, I'm glad you do that longer break later because I had to go potty. <laughs> so I do. There's a reason to the madness. Uh, of what we do. We've been doing this show so long, well over a thousand episodes, and this thing this is our 10th year of broadcasting, so we do a little bit longer commercial break uh, three quarters of the way through, because uh, we have heard from people to say, oh, I want to hear your entire show, but about halfway through, or three quarters, uh, I just uh, got to do a potty break, and I miss something. And if you miss anything, of course, you know that it is archived for your listening pleasure, so you can listen, listen to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whenever you like because it is in podcast form. Already talking with our good friend, Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we're talking about exotic Newcastle disease. We'll bring him back on, and we will have him continue about this disease. Great. Um, All so right. uh, a couple more things I was going to mention. Um, so there, like like we were saying, you know, the, the clinical signs in, in many cases are very obvious, but there are some situations where it is not so obvious, and that's typically in non-poultry um uh, avian species. So, 
you may have birds that are infected that don't show sh signs or symptoms and may still uh, actually sp uh, spread the disease, uh, typically through bird-to-bird -bird contact, uh, aerosols, coughing, gasping, um, but also, as, as we all know, the whole fomite um, type thing. So we, you, know, you can think of a gazillion scenarios where you have contact with a bird, sick or not sick, or what you may th think is not sick, and then you know, you've just got to go to the, to the feed store for something or you've got to go to you know, wherever it be, and then you, you obviously spread the disease, all kinds of diseases, um, foreign animal diseases and not that way. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out about the clinical signs is that, unfortunately, there are very few clinical signs, um, and, and really none, that are what we call pathognomonic. Uh, so that means if someone calls me and they say, well, I've got sneezing and coughing and nasal discharge and circling and paralysis, Sure, we might start thinking about uh, Newcastle, um, but the reality is that there are other diseases which can cause a lot of the same clinical signs. So unfortunately, this is where um, we need to start doing diagnostics. So there is no, um, as much as I, love, I wish there was, and I've, I've heard people uh, say this, well, just send me a picture of the bird and I'll tell you what it is. Um, unfortunately, we can't do that. It, it just doesn't work that way. Sure, we can start narrowing it down. If we see sneezing and coughing, obviously we know it's more of a respiratory disease than a, than a GI disease, so we can start excluding certain diseases. Um, but we can never, very, very rarely, um, maybe with avian pox is probably the only one I can think of off the top of my head where I can actually see a picture and say, yeah, it's probably you know disease A, B, or C. Right. Um, so it's really important to realize that because I think sometimes people – you know, want to have a nice definitive answer. Of course, we all do, and, and the reality is sometimes a little uh, murkier and muddier than that. Um, so the last thing I did want to talk about is, again, you know, I want to talk a little about vaccines, but before I mention vaccines, I want to really mention biosecurity again. Um, it's essential for us to think about biosecurity, not just because we're dealing with this outbreak of disease in Southern California. You might be on the, you know, northeast tip of Maine right now thinking, what's that got to do with you? Um, but there's, there are diseases that are, that are, that are ubiquitous everywhere, Merrick's disease, uh, Salmonella, uh, Campylobacter, infectious bronchitis, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, the biosecurity part of it is that I think the beauty of biosecurity is that it's, um, it, it, it can be used for all diseases. Um, and I think, um, that, that's, that's a, that's a really good, that's probably the most important thing. Um, and then I want to spend a couple minutes on, on vaccination, um, but, the, you know, okay. just very okay. briefly, we, we all know all this stuff, but it's always good to kind of reiterate it. Um, we always want, you know, to kind of focus, if we can, have dedicated shoes and clothes uh, when we're caring for our, our chickens. Um, so having, you know, overalls or jeans or, or, or whatever it be in an old pair of shoes that you keep out um, near your flock and, only, and, and, and you only put on uh, when you're dealing with your birds and you take off, uh, when you're not dealing with your birds, and that material does not come in, the, the, those clothes and shoes do not come into contact with your normal clothes and shoes, um, that goes, that, those are some huge steps that you can make. I know there are these, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that talk about foot baths, and foot baths are great as long as you um, utilize them correctly. And part of utilizing them correctly is changing the disinfectant on a daily basis. Most people don't do that. If I had backyard poultry, which I don't, um, I would not do that daily. So in lieu of that, um, the best thing you can do, whether you have uh, a foot bath or don't have a foot bath, is, is having that dedicated clothing. That's what I would really, really um, kind of focus on. 
Um, so I did want to talk a little about vaccination. Um, so again, vaccination is not a substitute for good biosecurity. Um, the, the, there are some really um, uh, decent vaccines that can be used. Um, one thing I want people to remember with vaccines is that birds still can get infected, um, but the shedding is reduced. Um, so the good thing about vaccination is, is not that um, they're not going to get infected. The good thing about vaccination is that uh, the birds won't show clinical signs of disease and, and your birds aren't going to be sick. Um, so if, if the vaccine is, um, is, is, is working correctly. Um, so there are, you know, we talked about the different flavors of virus. So the most common vaccines that you'll be able to get through your, your feed store are um, what are we called these uh, lentogenic um, vaccines. And the, the two most common ones are, are what's called B1, and then there's another one called Lasoda. Um, the one thing I do want to mention is that when you do vaccinate your birds, um, they can um, sometimes show some clinical signs. So you sometimes will see some respiratory signs. Um, you will also sometimes see a drop in egg production. Um, and that's because you're giving a very mild version of, of the disease to them. That's what vaccines are. So it's important to be aware of that. One of the reasons I don't recommend vaccines for you know, I have a lot of people in Northern California that are calling me up like, well, should we vaccinate our backyard birds? And, and my own feeling is, is unless you're in an affected area or in a historically infected area, um, my personal feeling is no, because you do run into um, some of these issues where you get drops in egg production, you get some of these respiratory signs, um, and then I think you run into this scenario where sometimes you get some miscommunications and people are like, well, they go onto the Internet and they say, well, I vaccinated my bird against um, Newcastle, and guess what? They got Newcastle. They got, I got a drop in egg production, or they got mycoplasma, you know, because they probably were carriers of mycoplasma already, and, and you know, they, they associated, you know, the, the, whatever disease they eventually got with the vaccine. So I, I, I prefer not to recommend the vaccine unless if someone in Southern California called me up, and we've been communicating this to, to backyarders, um, in that area. Um, my recommendation in that area at this point is to use the vaccine. Um, and the, the one that I'm kind of most comfortable with is the B1 vaccine. It doesn't provide a high level of protection, but it does provide some, but it doesn't have um, some of those, um, those other clinical signs, like they're sometimes the respiratory disease and the drop in egg production. You get that probably a little more with the Lasota vaccine and with the B1 vaccine. Um, the one thing I do want to reiterate is you can give it in water. Um, I actually prefer that people give that um, as an eye droplet or in the nares, in the, in the nostrils, um, because then you're 100% you're sure that, that that vaccine actually got in the bird. Um, if you give it in water, you're not 100% sure. And there's been some studies, even the people that really know how to do this stuff really well that do it as vaccine crews, um, that in a flock, if you just did, did give it in the water, um, that you get protection in about 85% of the birds, not in 100% of them. And, 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 you know, most of our backyards are, are small enough to where, you know, if you have five birds, ten birds, whatever it be, uh, using that eyedropper method is, is not onerous as far as labor. Um, but if you're dealing with, you know, tens of thousands of birds, then it, it becomes obviously a much more challenging um, labor equation. Um, so those are kind of the big recommendations that, that – um, um, about the vaccines. They can be given in, in, various, in various ways, um, but I, I think the nares, um, they'll just inhale it um, kind of into their nose. You just get a tiny little dropper, um, and you can also give it in, the, in, in, in their eyes. 
The the B1 vaccine, I would recommend giving that at least twice a year. Um, and what you can do if, if, if you know, people, and this is where, you know, vaccines are, are sometimes more of an art than a science, um, but there are some people that will start with the B1 vaccine in, in the commercial poultry industry, and then they'll move to the Lasota vaccine. I don't want to confuse people. I think at this time, if we, we my, my recommendation is really just to stick with the B1 vaccine, um, but but um, there are different vaccine regimes. Um, my recommendation is to stick to the bottle um, unless you talk to a veterinarian um, because you might not be knowing exactly what you're doing. And there's been a lot of scientific publications on people not giving vaccines correctly. Um, either they don't maintain cold chains, they didn't give uh, the vaccine dose uh, in the correct dosage, um, whatever it be, just because you give the vaccine doesn't mean it actually worked. So it's really, really important if you're going to give a vaccine, follow the directions and work with a veterinarian. And whether it's an extension veterinarian like myself um, or whether it's your own um, small animal veterinarian that also treats poultry, um, that's a great place to start. Learn how to do it from them. And then uh, on that rainy day, if you, if you truly didn't need it, then you could um, you know, certainly consider doing it um, yourself, in my opinion, because you can get those vaccines typically at feed stores. Cool. Very good. Yeah, great information. Um, I know that, I don't know, I mean, I had some people that whenever something like this happens, they'll say, why don't we vaccinate for this? I saw an interesting uh, post this week, actually, where someone mentioned vaccination, and then uh, I hadn't seen this reply. I've been doing this a long time, and I hadn't seen this reply, but but someone mentioned vaccination um, Actually, it wasn't related to Newcastle. It was related to this now new current 2018 salmonella outbreak related to backyard poultry that the CDC came out with last Friday. And um, <laughs> someone had mentioned something about um, the vaccination for that. And then someone else had, and I hadn't seen this before, came out and says, well, that's just going to eliminate. And I think the term that they used was poor people or people on a budget. Uh, which is all of us really, but uh, out of having backyard chicken, you know, if we have to, if they make it mandatory and we now have to pay more for our birds and we now have to buy this vaccination and do this, then it's just more added cost for, I hadn't seen that argument before in a long, ever, I don't think, when it came to vaccinations. Most of the time it's uh, other comments that, that we always see. But, um, but yeah, I know, I know a lot of people recommend the merit. And they're like, you know, if you're going to get one vaccination and you're going to choose one and get it done, Merix is probably the, the way to go. Uh, but like you said earlier, and I know a lot of folks, there's some folks in Florida, and they, they routinely get the Falpox vaccination and, you know, the, mm-hmm. and the different other regions. That they, you know, so, so yeah, that, that makes perfect sense about, you know, know your area, know what's common in your area, um, talk to other people who have flocks in your area and see what's going around or what has gone around and make that determination. So, yeah, all that was fabulous information about the the vaccine. And then, of course, you know, you've got folks that are just uh, uh, in the poultry world. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I bought a couple hundred birds here from a hatchery, um, Bovins Brown, which is a commercial bird, and I had the opportunity to get some that were not beak trimmed and were not vaccinated because I knew. I've been doing this a long time. I'll buy extra birds or I'll see a, a breed that may not be very common but still very good layers and, and people hadn't heard of them, so it piques their interest and, and I can always sell them. And, um, I know that if I get vaccinated, 
then I'll obviously lose customers because, like, as you know, there's the big group of folks in backyard poultry, oh, I'm doing this to be more all-natural, more organic, no, you know, no antibiotic use, that type of thing. When they just see that word, um, they they just almost just mark it off the list. Well, no, I don't want that one because it's been vaccinated. So, um uh, so yeah, I'm glad you took time to cover cover that as well. And, and you know, is I'm glad you also covered earlier because so many times people because the USDA APHIS tries to it's one of their programs you know uh, call and and report and and we've talked about this on the show a lot about people are timid about doing that because they feel like it's just going to be an instant death wish if you will for their flock and that's not always the case whatsoever. You know, you, you said the main two, the highly pathogenic avian influenza and then the uh, exotic Newcastle disease and then um, are, are the two ones. And in that case, you, if you're calling, you, you may have already lost half your birds anyway. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, I look at it like, well, you do have neighbors that have chickens. You like your neighbors. You meet your, yeah, well, well, you want to protect their flocks too. But at the end of the day, on science is maybe the best thing to do to protect your neighbors, even though we understand that it's going to be difficult for you emotionally. So uh, it's just packed full of great information today, Doc. It was all very, very good and well-rounded. Anything else you uh, would like to add about uh, Newcastle that you had on your uh, outline that we didn't get to? No, I'm going to say for the tenth time, though. Let's let's we should. This is a great chance for us all to focus on biosecurity again. Um, and I agree with exactly what you said about Merrick's. Merrick's that is. Um, that's that, that in my my mind, you know, from my perspective as as a, as a veterinarian and a, and a researcher, that's that's the no-brainer one. Um, all the other ones we can we can uh, talk about based upon you know geography and and history and things like that. But the Merrick's one is is um, is, is pretty fundamental, and then the biosecurity um, is also um, is also fundamental. You know, those are the two best things we can do for our for our birds to to maintain their their health and try to um, prevent uh, diseases from, from affecting their, their quality of life. Right. And, folks, if you want to listen to Dr. Pateski has done uh, at least one, probably two over the years shows, really good shows on that Merrick's vaccination because there's a lot of questions because it went viral about it not working or, or you know, they're going to shed it and everybody's going to get it. So don't, a lot of rumors out there about that vaccine. Um, and so you can go back in the archives and, and find those shows, even if you Google um, uh, uh, Maurice Pateski, Blog Talk Radio, Chicken Whisperer, obviously type in Merrick. You'll find the show, and you can listen to that, where we've, we've talked about all those myths, rumors, and things that, that are out there about that particular uh, vaccine. So you can get, get a little bit educated on that as well if you're interested in, in learning more about the um, uh, Merrick's vaccination. So, Doc, thank you very much for another great show. We appreciate you coming on. It is, of course, timely with current events about what's going on out there in California. It sounds like uh, they they had due diligence and, and, and got out there quick, and and hopefully we've kind of contained this thing, uh, which we all, of course, hope. Nobody, you know, I can imagine when, when, when a lot of the commercial folks heard that for the first time, their hearts sank just like, oh, no. Um, you know the what ifs, things like that. But but it sounds like we. It sounds like it's really a learning process, and, and it sounds like people are learning and taking heed. Like like from the even influenza, the high path a few years ago, and and learning from that huge outbreak and the outbreak of 2003 to get on it, get on it hard and fast, and you know 
do what we need to do to contain these. So it sounds like people are really putting use to what they've learned in the past, which I always like to hear that, especially with government. <laughs> right? I mean, like, <laughs> exactly. um, you know, doing it, but it sounds like they've done a, done a fabulous job. So hopefully we won't have any more than what's already been identified. So, but hey, thanks for coming on, and we'll see you back next month here, the uh, second Tuesday of the month. Dr. Uh, Maurice Pateski joins us uh, with a different topic to keep our backyard poultry happy and healthy. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Thanks, Annie. See you next month. Thank you. Bye-bye. So uh got to love it when Doc saw, man, so much great information and uh, that we can rely on for our backyard flock, keeping them healthy. So I want to thank you very much for, uh, for, for tuning in. And go wash your hands. <laughs> How related could this be? My seven-year-old just walked through the back door and says, Daddy, Daddy, the, the chicken just pooped on my hand. <laughs> okay, well, you know what to do. <laughs> go wash your hands. Oh, my goodness. Wrapping up a show about chickens. And uh, at the exact same time, my son walks into the back door. Daddy, Daddy, the chicken just pooped on my hand. Okay, there you go. Oh, my goodness, got to love it. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next Thursday. Uh, Let's see, I think next Thursday will be um, Dr. McRae. Yes, that'll be great. We'll have a great topic with her uh, next Thursday. Don't forget to check out our website, Check out our brand new, as of yesterday, brand new uh, website, uh, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Tell us what you think, uh, how easy it is to navigate versus the old one. And so go go check that out. We'd like for you to uh, uh, let us know let us know what you think. But that's going to wrap up another great show, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And uh, we hope to tune in next Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And again, this show is brought to you by our good friends over at Calm Bob from our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer.